0: Welcome to the Grow Your B2B SaaS podcast. In this podcast, we cover all topics on how to grow your B2B SaaS, no matter in which stage you're in. I'm Joran Hoffman, the host of the show and the founder of Redditors, which is a B2B SaaS that helps other B2B SaaS companies to set up, manage, and grow an affiliate program. Being a founder myself means I'm going through the exact same journey as you are, experiencing the exact same issues, and probably have the exact same questions. And this is why I started the podcast in the first place, get advice from industry experts on how to grow my B2B SaaS. So if you like this content, make sure to subscribe, follow, give it a thumbs up. Let's just dive in. In today's episode, we're going to talk about go-to-market, also referred to as GTM. The episode we did in season one with Andrew Davis is still one of the most listened episodes so far. So we're going to dive deeper into this topic today. We're going to do it with Maya Voye. Maya is the author of the bestseller book called Go-to-Market Strategist, which includes 135 frameworks, 18 templates, and over 100 industry expert interviews. Maya also runs GTM bootcamps for SaaS companies, has a newsletter called GTM Strategist. And next to this, she's a mentor at the Swiss Entrepreneurship Program, a podcast host at Product Led, and the founder and investor at Growth Lab. Welcome to the show, Maya. It's so good to be here. If people are not convinced after the introduction, in your opinion, why should people listen to you today? Because I only do what's mission critical. I will cut off all the bullshit and
1: we'll just discuss examples from the reality that we are living in, right? So the access to founding is getting increasingly harder. Also like willingness to pay is being severely challenged. There is more competition with AI and I don't think that it is going to get easier. We will have to get smarter about this. But here's the good news. If you do the fundamentals and just make sure to have your setting for the product market fit on the right place, you are on a very good track to succeed. So this is what I'm hoping to bring to conversation today to whoever is interested and excited about this subject.
0: Nice. We're going to... Start always with the basics. How would you explain the go to market strategy to somebody who's unknown with it?
1: So I work a lot with tech people and for them it's all about building in isolation before we launch. And then maybe 14 days before, okay, now the product is ready. Now we have to have users or something like that. And they invite us to join forces, cross departmentally with marketing, with sales, with business development, and all sort of weird conversations take place from there. So is the pricing really it? Like, is this what we are putting in the offers here? When it comes to channels, who's utterly your target persona, who should we sell here? And nevertheless, it would be so much easier if planning and alignment would be done sooner. In my opinion, GTM does no longer just portray this launch period. It is a constant journey when you are searching for product market marketing. It can also happen when you are relaunching, when you are opening new market segment, or if you are like a part of a bigger organization and maybe have to do like specific launch a little bit more more scrappy than putting your full-blown Broadway show to the mix. So that for me is kind of GTM and specific challenges that we have on this journey. I think that like how we resolve them is really to have ultimate clarity about the goal. I was just training a client from Saudi Arabia and mission critical for her was to do 8 million in just like Q1 and she was presenting this GTM plan to her boss I think four times and the boss said okay now I need to see personas I need to see customer journey I need to do this and that and whenever she returned to him the boss was like no I need a clearer plan because Ultimately, he was just interested in how to make 8 million in the next queue. And her job was literally to refine this information to who are the best performing segments, hypothetically, what are the offers that we will be testing and what are the channels, how we are going to push them out, plus planning the resources, budget, people, consultants, whatnot that she needs in order to get there, because the guy will, of course, calculate ROI. These are then the practical challenges that we have to tackle, but GTM is not a bunch of mental models, is getting the job done. It's just like securing that we can get to the objectives most securely and most effectively that we can possibly
0: Yeah, one objective you already mentioned a little bit at the beginning in your answer, product market fit. Before, I guess, we really dive into the topic, could you also explain how you see product market fit and how would you explain it to somebody else?
1: First of all, it's a moving target, right? And it's a holy grail of GTM. So everybody's saying, yes, after I achieve this product market fit, like life will be so much easier. People will magically come to my product. They will refer others. They will happily pay for whatever I'm making. So product market fit, this is it, baby. But as you are learning and evolving and just like attracting, new user segments to the product, things always change. So I always say that it is a moving target as well. In its fundament, it means that like you are doing something that people want, that you are portraying the value through the product. But especially coming from European reality, I think that At the same time, simultaneously, as we are testing for product market fit, we should also be testing willingness to pay. So not only do we have a product, but are there people who are going to pay for it? Because the majority of us are bootstrapping and we need to pay the bills. We need to secure the existence of our company. GTM is usually like a period of 3 to 18 months. I never met a startup that would have 18 months of lifeline. It just doesn't happen. We have to make some money on the go. So that's why I think it's extremely important where we are from to also make sure that we are validating business model and willingness to pay at the
0: same time. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to explain it. We're going to, Talk first about the mistakes and then we're gonna walk our way into like how to actually get things done <laughs> properly. So, what are the most common mistakes companies make while trying to go to market? I would love to
1: reverse this question now. What did you learn? What did you learn as a founder? What were like the, the biggest unknown unknowns? Which were they for you?
0: For me. Oh, yes. We started, for example, with the long term strategy. So we did SEO, we doing the podcasting, like we don't do any cold outreach, anything like that, which in hindsight, I should have done a lot more at the beginning. But I had this long term strategy baked in from the beginning where it's starting to work now, but it's not helping us to actually get the cash flow today. So if I would change things, I would probably change that where I would probably go more for outbound or just like outreach get more money in today than rather focusing on 12 months, basically.
1: I love this. I'm so happy that we reversed the question now because you genuinely just described this dilemma between Demand generation and demand capture, right? It is so different in terms of sales cycles. Also, monies on the bank account, as you nicely illustrated as well. But here is an additional thing: we would love to learn from product data, right? And if mm-hmm. we don't have any users in either beta programs, or if users are really scattered and we cannot like really do clear pattern recognitions, good segmentation of these data, even making decisions based on the wrong data points, things just don't add up, and. This is why I prefer to think about GTM in stages. So how to get your 50 users, how to get your 100 users, how to get like 1000 users, because the tactics will be radically different. At the beginning, you will just have to do it yourself because the majority of us, how it is, there is you, there are maybe like two other co-founders and a couple of juniors that are trying to help us with the heavy lifting. But nevertheless, things change, we need to build processes and Like your plan how to get first five customers is going to be radically different than 500 customers after you cross the chasm. Just like dissecting my own launches, I always think the majority of mistakes are in my head. They are like very much constrained with my mindset because at the beginning, it's so founder related that we are like often our worst problem. And let me talk through a couple of examples that are either cognitive or completely rational things that we should consider and we should pay a a lot of attention on. So oftentimes, at least in Europe, people are very bad at pricing and they are just like pricing themselves too low. If you are selling something to the US, for example, it's very likely that you are missing zero and you could double it. I come from the region where like the average paycheck is 1,500 euros. And for people, it's insane to charge like 10K of MRR for a client or something like that. They just don't feel it's just. And pricing in that perspective is more of a mirroring of the imposter syndrome or just like some cultural legacy that we have instead of being part of very solid business model the second one which is like a complete bias is thinking that it it is going to be a little bit cheaper it will attract more people this is not microeconomics one oh baby this is real life if it is too cheap People are maybe not going to trust it. Maybe you will not even get a fair chance to get like to the right decision maker who would be making these decisions. And it's really important to test willingness to pay as soon as possible because your target customer is very likely to pay more for it than you think it's worth based on the previous like mind junk that you might have. So this one is a very dangerous hypothesis for me and I have to nail it. I like to do it with pre-selling, like whatever I have, in my pipeline for development and just like making sure that I can sell it with either like a demo, a doc or something like that before going full in and spend like another three months in crafting this like full-fetched marketing and business development machine. Then what else is really interesting is just like our ego, right? What is the biggest like barrier, mental barrier that we have is fear of rejections. And it made sense because like we people thrive together as a tribe and gorillas are objectively stronger than we are but we are still like sitting on the top of evolution because we learn how to work together very nicely and this is like the pillar of our civilization whenever you are doing something which is unconventional or is your relationships with people that you would like to be accepted by we are like dealing with a huge mental like dissonance, and we have to really say it is not personal if they don't accept my offer this is not personal that doesn't Mean that I'm a bad person, that they hate me, and then I'm gonna die alone. That the wolf will eat my body. It just means that they don't need this now, and I can return to them later in six months, or I can just learn from it and move to another camp. And here is the beautiful thing about evolution: evolution is not always right. It's just right more than it's wrong, and it has a lot of iterations. Right and. Just like feeling unsuccessful if something didn't work leads me to the biggest superpower that you need to develop in GTM, which is mental robustness and stamina. Literally, you will get knocked down, but you must get up again. So sometimes this happens in iteration and we really need to work both on our businesses as well as on our mindset because I cannot tell you how many things are self-sabotaging because they don't want to launch, they would feel rejected by the market or whatever. So they are just like there in their offices, continue to build products that will maybe not even be accepted by the market. But you never know if you don't put action into this. Action is your best friend.
0: So I guess to conclude a bit like a bad pricing, don't put yourself too cheap. You're going to be not maybe trusted. Put that zero behind it or double it, I guess, if you're selling to the US, Pass as it. you mentioned. best it if you can do it. But Yeah, we just re- did a recording with uh, Walter Rehberg from Unium and he talks about packages, like package everything mm. correctly. And then the pricing is something, I guess, which comes next to it. But create the packages with great value and then you can charge accordingly as well. And then, as you mentioned, mindset, I think that's ego. That's going to be a really big one as well. Oh. So, Just
1: one thing that I would like to add to the conversation, because it is like the opposite from ego. And it's just like this mindset of scarcity, feeling that you are leaving money on the table and for us. For the majority of European companies, especially in B2B, one of the smartest strategies is to specialize, is to go like niche specific and find your first users there. But nobody really went to business with this vision of serving like 50 companies from Utrecht, from banking industry. Everybody would like to conquer the world, right? So yeah. it's very difficult for people to focus yet. Focusing is probably your best chance to win this GTM game.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you keep hearing it all the time. Uh, it's hard to do, so but if you, if you do it, then it's going to help you a lot. So I guess when we talk about processes, strategies, like what would be your process if you would going to help a company trying to achieve product market fit? Are there any steps to follow? Like, how would you handle that?
1: So... In my world, it all comes down to understanding like, early and ideal customer profile. Early is the stage that we are dealing with when we are just like looking for the first 50 or 100 clients because it is unlikely that anybody in their right mind, for example, Rabobank or something like that is going to let you in if you don't have proof of concept and just like a couple of testimonials. Okay, you can have this vision of an ideal customer, but probably first few implementations you will have to do with early adopters and people who are just like a little bit similar to you, who love risks and love discovering new technologies. This is where I like like to start and I see that it is increasingly important to also interview not just like the customers and reverse engineered who went successfully through our funnel but also do exit interviews with current prospects. In my opinion you can learn probably even more from that one because you know how it is average conversion rate is maybe 10% and if you are just like there shooting your surveys maybe 5% of people who are merciful enough in order to answer them and have a little will be too much time we'll pitch in yes. but you will never learn about the real reasons that's why you it's essential to just get to know 90% of people who didn't accept your deal just learn what was a deal breaker and try to elaborate on this I find this increasingly important and I think that I will be making more of this content because everybody's saying customer interviews customer survey and I'm just like uh, 90% of people you missed in the first place so maybe we could do some corrections there as well right. but nevertheless when it comes to target audience you know how it is it determines all the other choices of your go-to-market strategy that you will be making so it determines willingness to pay the pricing the packages that you will be doing it definitely impacts the channels that you will be using the messaging positioning of this so if you can nail this first puzzle and be laser focused on On whoever is your early target segment, I think that all the answers could be derived through that. There is another reality in GTM, which is competition, because we are always being compared against somebody. And if you think that there is no competition, it might be like a little bit too narrow thinking, because it might dangerously mean that there is no problem, the willingness to solve this problem, or that you are just like being a little bit too narrow, because if people have problem, they. They would tweak something together in Airtable. They would use a spreadsheet or they would just choose to ignore it and not deal with it right now. And these are not the best bets as we are doing go-to-market. So this is like the second reality because in the competition arena, you usually have like a wiggle room from 20 to 30% when it comes to pricing and packaging in comparison with your competitors, right? It's very unlikely that you would be like... Apple with their new VR set that is not being AKA compared with Oculus, but literally invented their own uh, price point. So these are like a couple of realities that we have to co- take into the consideration, especially when it comes to procurement in B2B. And you know exactly how this looks like, how to see your company in a spreadsheet with others. And you would like to start shouting, no, we're better at this. Why did you read this uh, this line? But in the reality, look, their judgment really matters. So the best we can do is to learn from that. And this is like, a little bit of a process estimator, but when it comes to specific things, how we are planning these campaigns, we always have a target. And sometimes a target can be like attract 500 people to beta, right? Then you ask yourself, who are these people? Who is my ICP? Should I hire somebody on Fiverr, pay 200 euros to achieve that? Or must I acquire engineers and like really smart folks on Reddit and spend a lot of time arguing with them if this considered the solution is good enough to take for a spin. This is how I like to think about this. And then when it comes to just like companies, okay, you have like your goal. You are trying to reverse engineer the goal. You have to be strategic in your decisions, what to prioritize, which actions, and then you have to narrow it down because you don't have like a lot of resources. You have to create a program which is realistic for you and will help you focus and just choose the best range of channels and the best actions that will most securely get you to the moving target that you are trying to address. This decision is very difficult to make in isolation, especially for people who are doing this for the first time and are maybe not okay with marketing and sales because the majority of founders it's very scary. Now you will have to be selling and they would prefer to build a product. But if they're not going to sell, if they're not going to convince their target markets, it would be very difficult to just like monitor whoever will be doing business development and sales later. So I genuinely believe that you have to be hands-on about these things. And that in a nutshell would be a process. Then we have like sprints, which is literally me yelling at people why this hasn't been done and by when it will be done. So these are the accountability check. This is like where the fitness trainers comes in. Not everybody wants that. Like some teams have beautiful processes, but sometimes it is needed to just have this internal locus of controls and making sure that our commitments are really met to develop a discipline, a muscle and a critical mass to see the changes that we were actually hoping to achieve.
0: Nice. Love it. Love it. Like I will try to summarize it a little bit. I think at the beginning, like always have a target, have a goal. As you mentioned, it can be a moving target because once you grow, you will change it. But reverse engineer it. So how to actually get there. If you're early stage, define like an early customer profile. I think I saw it in one of your other chats as well. So it's not your ICP, but your ECP. So your early customer profile will look differently than later on. So find the people who love risk like yourself as well. Get the turned prospect on the phone is 90% of the people don't convert. So make sure you interview them, get more information about them so you can actually convert more clients later on. Get laser focused with your target audience, tracking channels, pricing. And if you say you do not have any competition, is there an actual problem? I think that was a really good one as well. I hear it quite a bit as well with prospects coming to us and I ask them because we find affiliates for them. And I ask them like, who is your competition? Are they running an affiliate program already? Can we find them? And then if they say we have no competition, then indeed they're a real problem. This podcast episode is sponsored by Redditus. Redditus helps B2B SaaS companies to set up, manage and grow an affiliate program. In short, it means you're asking other people, affiliates to promote your SaaS. You would only pay the affiliates a kickback fee when they deliver you paid clients making it a very cost-effective and scalable way to grow your MRR. See more at getredditors.com. We talked about mistakes. We talked about process, like maybe do you have some kind of examples, best practices you can share of companies who had a great go-to-market strategy and what are they doing where we can learn from?
1: I will go super scrappy here, if you don't mind, because I think that your listeners are smart enough to find all the epic examples on the internet. Uh, So let's just revise a couple of launches that I was helping in the last month or so. There is a CRM system which has like these AI components and we first worked together on getting 500 users for their beta program. They were applying to Y Combinator and just like getting ready for the first round of investment and they needed traction. They ran LinkedIn ads before we joined forces and the conversion rates were shit. So they practically sprayed, I think, thousand or two thousand euros which is not a lot of money but for them it is because it could be invested elsewhere and it just didn't deliver then they were posting in social media groups and the pitch was nice but it was written to salesy and whenever you are in these like very niche professional groups that people are allergic to that so we just had this awkward conversation just talk to them human to human like i did this These are the existing challenges, transparently what you are trying to do here. And please don't sign up just because you support like this type of technology. You should uh, definitely subscribe if you're an actual user. So we... Narrow it down a little bit and just make it sound more genuine. That was literally probably the job to be done here. Okay. And then when it comes to like urgent day number seven, when we were working together and we were still short on 200 leads or something like that, we start with direct outreach and we joined with one of the B2B influencers that gave us some leverage. So from the audiences, because the company didn't have any previous audience, it was a new um, company. So you had to either piggyback on somebody else's audience or you could be like directing directly inviting people toward the product. Luckily, that was a success. They didn't get admitted to Y Combinator, unfortunately, or luckily for them, who knows, <laughs> time will tell. But they are preparing for the next investment round right now and they are already pre-selling before the product is even live, which I'm so proud of. So they literally secured like 20K monthly reincurring revenue by just like having these commitments by Demos. So the product is not even ready to be used right now, but it looks so much better for investors that they have like already pledged this money. And here is what literally like my eyes shine because I was like, yes, guys, you can do it. You can do it. I will tell your example to 500 more people in order to make sure that it's not always just like burning your money and building it to perfection. You can actually sell a lot sooner than you might actually think, and I love stories such as this because for us who are bootstrapping you are probably doing it with your own money and whatever you can get on a go definitely helps and speeds up adoption and also gives these positive signals these islands of joy on this difficult journey of product building and this is why i love these stories they are right now i think that like the investment round that they are trying to get is 600 million and they are talking like with all the investors i i to the feedback that I have a lot of money is already pledged but gosh are they cowboys they are very competent business people both developers like both are coming from a technical background but it's their third startup right so I see a lot of increased sensibility how GTM is important with multiple time founders because for the first time you would probably be like build it and they will come
0: yeah uh, that's not going to work out and I'm curious because we're actually doing something similar. Like we already have a product and we're building a new feature and we're now trying to sell it before we even have it. It's almost like a completely separate like uh, thing you can buy. So what we did, for example, is we created the mock-ups just in Figma. Like you can't click any button we showed basically. Like walk me through, like w- what have they done to be so successful in to sell something which isn't there yet? Because this is super relevant for me personally right now. So I'm, I'm curious to... hear what they're doing.
1: So as I was not hands-on part of this process, I will explain how I do it because God knows that I eat my own dog food. So (laughs) whenever I have like a training program, for a company or just an idea of a new cohort or something like that, I don't develop the material before there is at least 10,000 euros committed to the program. Because if I cannot make 10K, it's better for me to freelance, right? The opportunity cost is just like too large. And in order to secure my well-being of just like building something, I love to have these data Prior to me actually going and locking myself in a room for a month in order to do something, I usually do it like via Google document, either with mockups. There are some of the customers some of the trainees that I have that could give testimonials so it's not done without social proof and you can easily translate this to product by just like inviting some people to beta first or something like mm-hmm. that right because their willingness to buy is higher either you did them a favor so you provided the value and there is certain pride to be the first to have something especially if they end up liking it so that's a very good mechanism as well I worked I think it was last year with an hr company which did a little bit of a slack integration for increased happiness in companies and like they converted 30 percent of their interview list by just like doing legit customer research before they pledged towards the development of these specific features by people who were actually included in their research that's a very good mechanism as well and How I usually shape these documents, so we already said that we don't build the final version until we have at least like interest committed. I also use usability testing on those materials. So you probably have the vision who would benefit the most out of this. And then I sample. And I literally give those people either a document that we do, or we take them to a demo and you get their feedback. So no sales doc, like MVP sales doc is actually sent to real people before it is tested and those people are like a game changer here because sometimes as you are so much into the product, you kind of forget to send something or like a benefit that they are seeing is a little bit different to your vision, I think it's definitely important to have this double feedback loop of not only doing the pre-sales itself, but also usability test of your sales materials. And just like percentage-wise, as I'm going through these cycles, I would say that I have 10 launches per year, and three of them are a fail, seven of them are a success. But I will continue doing it like this because it freaking works and it saves me tons of time.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and I think that's really important. You have a clear goal. I, I, I like that You said a goal and you're not going to build it until you reach the goal. You have the mock then you do the customer research. No, but this is how
1: I gamify my process. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but this is very pleasant for me because I'm a very competitive person. And if I just see on my agenda work on this for a month and maybe see what happens, I get much more motivated, much more committed if I'm gamifying my work a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you said the end goal, probably chop it up into little pieces, exactly how to get there. And I love what you said about the customer research. Like we just did 35 calls with clients last week with the devs also in there. And that's basically like our early pipeline. Those are our early prospects where we're going to offer it towards. And I like that you said, create a sales doc with social proof. That's something I haven't done yet, but I'm yet to send out everything. So I will definitely make sure that we'll add something. Regarding that as well, and then usability Yeah, testing, whatever is possible as, as well. So
1: yeah, it can be like a testimonial from a client that participated in customer research. It can be like proof of concept yeah. that you have tested it with somebody that it surely works. Like one thing is to say it, but you know how people in technology are. We are extremely skeptical. So we want not buy yeah. unicorns and rainbows. We want evidence. We want to make these decisions with confidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Nice. Let's move on to maybe the fun question for you. Like what are some of the most common challenges when trying to achieve product market fit? And how would you overcome those challenges?
1: So for me personally, it's really sad when I'm wrong, right? So to be wrong is a very painful experience, especially if you are very passionate about the product or the problem that you are solving. And every launch, it's founder vision led at first, right? And packed into the initial hypothesis of a product, which could also be called MVP. But nevertheless... What is important in GTM as well is to choose the right target audience. So to have this minimal segment, which I like to call beachhead segment, to have a right target market segment selected. And this is really difficult for people because sometimes It just changes too much or you have this vision to serve, for example, fitness industry. And then you realize that, for example, injection molding people like your learning software better. And then you are no longer that passionate about serving those people. And that gets a little bit off-putting because you went to business with a vision to help fitness people. And... The way how I tackle it, just like methodologies, okay, this is the segment with most burning pay that will help me get to the fitness segment that I ultimately want to convince later on. So it's my job to secure traction with these people in order to have more punching power for later. This is how I come to peace with those decisions. But it's very frustrating because you have one idea, one vision, and then like you test it out. Exactly, you do test it out on the market and get like different information. So there is always like this radical balance between the product vision and your vision as a founder and what the market actually tells you. The other trap is, are you doing the right tests in the first place? Because sometimes in GTM, like the the sample sizes are just too small to do anything serious, anything data-driven. If you have the privilege to do that's the best decision that you could be making. But a lot of times we are collecting sort of anecdotal proof. For example, customer interviews or focus groups or just small data sizes of whatever is going on in our product. And I'm just like, shit, are we making these decisions with confidence? Maybe the sample that we were uh, testing on was not optimal, right? There are a lot of un- unknown unknowns, that's why it's so important to be very honest to yourself and very methodologic about how you are interpreting these data and have a little bit of a connectability group. I usually have it with product managers. They are fierce. They are very fierce people. <laughs> <laughs> so just go through the findings together. So I'm not standing there like in front of presentation. These are top 10 lessons that we learn from customers. To just be challenged a little bit. Did we ask the right questions? Did we have the right samples? To be... I know it sounds complicated, but it's really so important to be truthful in this process and to be challenged because if you're not going to challenge yourself, the market will.
0: Yeah, I love it. I guess if you don't ask these questions yourself, indeed, like you will be knocked down pretty quickly. Let's go one more before we dive into the final four questions because things are changing. I think the market is changing. Like, how do you see the future of building a go-to-market strategy, maybe going into 2024 or even beyond that?
1: I'm a very huge supporter that a lot of early stage stuff is founder-led. So I see more and more engineers, product people, UXers being increasingly interested interesting for marketing and sales and growth, which is fantastic. And I think that it really creates like strong leverage because you know how it is, like I studied in B school, right? So economics and business. And for me, it is very difficult to learn about like 80% 80% of things that I should be knowing about technology before we start. For example, when I was working on smart grids, these are electricity. Like really, smart grids were so difficult for me to understand the cool technology, how it works, like how this is being traded. I was just like... Whoa. And it would be much easier for an engineer who is like literally familiar with this stuff to just learn maybe 10 or 20% about marketing and just apply it on this vertical that they know so well. Then for me, like poor girl coming from business school, trying to figuring out smart grids. I can do it, but it will take me way more time. So it's either working interdisciplinary or just go through the silos and empower your carriers of domain knowledge in order to co-create these decisions with you the fastest the most secure way and amazing proximity to the target segment because they are this is the life that they are living so the second one is in terms of channels. And I think that there are some channels that are grossly underrated. For example, partnerships. Partnerships can be huge and it can be like a technology partnerships, like for the platforms or just a like co-creation or some proof of concept together. It's a great way for small companies to get their foot on the door, like of a bigger company as well, if you are participating in these type of partnerships. And it just like creates use so much leverage because as a founder you would have to go and like work through 10 calls or something like that but if a partner just said okay here are 12 people that are interested to talk to you oh definitely explore this line of uh, possibilities if you can have it but however partnerships require a lot of effort and a lot of work nurturing. So if somebody is interested, I will have some episodes about partnerships as well. Maybe you can link some of your episodes as well because um it's best yeah. to learn this from people who are full-time partnership management. Last but not least, in terms of what is going on in just like ad buying and complexity of data tracking or something like that. I do think that we would have to compensate Just like increasing acquisition cost, customer acquisition cost with being very focused that we are optimizing for LTV as well. So pricing experiments, super important. If you can upsell an existing customer, this is like super cheaper and super easier and more likely to happen than always filling in the funnel with new stuff. When it comes to just like acquisition channel, there is another big untapped completely untech. I mean, everybody in tech works this, but not very structurally, communities. So if you have a clever plan, how to embed in communities, how to do partnerships and just engineer your customer journey very well, so that you are literally working with people, how to optimize their success and making sure that you cover critical touch points, I think that you can like easily get to through the chasm and just make sure that you don't run out of money or energy or enthusiasm before you're there. So this is, I think, something that I see in the early stage. When it comes to later stages, processes. Processes are so important to maintain, to document and just like getting right. Because as you are scaling, there are like these huge layoffs right now. And I genuinely am concerned that people are, that companies are not even maintaining their knowledge and this is like super, super catastrophic for their IP. But nevertheless, as a leader of a larger team, I always like to think About first maybe outsourcing a channel and just like hiring somebody like a freelancer to do something to validate and later on go into the hiring spree because hire slow fire fast, (laughs) but nevertheless, it's much easier to validate that point. But for me, like I'm more or less creature of chaos these processes and systems and standard operating procedure that's a pain in the butt so that's the next consultant that i will hire for my company
0: nice nice and we you dived a little bit already into the next question so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna start firing those off the final four questions they are becoming a bit more famous with every episode so when we talk about go to market like what kind of advice would you give somebody who's like really just starting out and growing to ten k m r and feel free to summarize a bit what you already been mentioning during this call
1: so 10k is probably already in your phone book or your email list and I would just go through it and select a couple of prospects present a demo and just try to make deals with them get their testimonials ask for future recommendation and this is like easy peasy because 10k is not a lot of money and if you are any good and working in tech you would be generating more as a freelancer so build this product of course it's much more scalable but i don't think that you should overthink it you can just either do it from your phone book you can like in- decide to spend some money on ads and to see like how you can naturally capture the demand that is already existing i don't think that it should be complicated and you definitely don't need like an agency to do a strategy how to get to the first 10k
0: you should do it. Yeah, and as you mentioned, really leverage your network because the 10K is already in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, and buy some Google Ads. You know how to click on much complexer softwares than Google Ads Manager.
0: Nice. If we get past the 10K monthly recurring revenue, we're going to make a big step towards 10 million ARR. What kind of advice would you give somebody here?
1: So it's all about creating leverage, being focused on high leverage opportunities and building processes so that you can outsource the groundwork to other team members or partners or whoever you are working with, but that you still protect some time to do the strategy work, right? Because the least that you want to be in this stage is an overpaid product managers. And I see a lot of brand managers, for example, just like having 14 meetings a day, just like being wrap up on all the corners doing these final sign uh, sign ups and I literally think that people should protect their time and build processes in order to make this work meaningful and sustainable. If the problem, the main problem in the first page is mindset, the main problem, underlying problem in the second one are processes.
0: Yeah, really make sure that you set them up properly and you work yourself free a bit so you can focus more on on strategy and outsource things where you can.
1: And if you will be evolving through these phases, it's about time to get real with your control freakism and your (laughs) perfectionism because against your better judgment, there are people who can do the job better, especially if there is like a really specialistic job and you should just learn how to trust people at this stage.
0: And when we even zoom more out, what kind of general advice would you give SaaS founders who are now on their journey?
1: Get feedback loops as soon as possible. There will be failures, but just think about it as a scientific method, right? So failing is learning. Evolution had a lot of failures as well, for example, dinosaurs. But nevertheless, it's all about being there, showing up doing the action, trying to learn from that, leaving your ego aside, and just treat it as a science, right? Because ultimately you would like to build a money-making machine. That's your business, right? If you will be monetizing, as we talked about. And it can be done very methodologically and probably just like in terms of your life and being, make sure that you are living sustainably. Because it's not enough that you will fight today. You can be up till 4 a.m. The problem is that you will have to show up tomorrow again and do it all over ta- again. So make sure that you live this sustainable lifestyle, that you are not there as a zombie on your monster. Just try to think about this long term because it will take a lot of your time and you will have to sustain through the process. But hey, it's very fun. It's very rewarding. It's very interesting. And if you listen to one hour of this this podcast i believe you can do it
0: exactly i think it's a good one as you mentioned you're gonna have a lot of failures which is not always fun you're gonna have mm-hmm. a lot of feedback which is it sometimes come from but if you don't have fun in the meantime then it's going to be really challenging like you turn into into that zombie you, you mentioned the final question what is one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago
1: that after i'm 30 i will have to sleep more
0: <laughs>
1: just like in terms of the industry look at the beginning when i was starting to work in tech i had this huge imposter syndrome because i didn't know tech very well i was very good with people though as you are there like baking pancakes for developers trying to do office management and marketing you develop like a little trauma or two and it literally took me 10 years to just came at peace with the fact that my knowledge has a lot of value as well and that marketeers are not necessarily stupid than developers so it was like this huge imposter syndrome backlash that i was fighting with and it was really surprising to hear to hear from them back that they feel the same about marketing and sales right so some of the smartest project managers and developers founders i know are petrified of sales and sales is so natural to me give me something and i can do it and I learned to appreciate this teamwork and this radical transparency and just notion to self-improve and grow in certain areas. Because nobody is perfect, but if we work together, if we learn from each other, if we talk candidly, we can be much better people and business professionals.
0: Yeah, love it. Love it. Cool. This is going to conclude the final question. If people want to get in contact with you, Maya, like where can they do and how should they reach out?
1: LinkedIn is the most reliable source to do that. I try to create very valuable content there. So this is what's mission critical for me this week, this year, but nevertheless, Just like in terms of some people, some experts are not really approachable. I am approachable and some people even have my WhatsApp number. So never be afraid of just like reaching out because after this podcast that we are recording, there are maybe like five or 10 people who are reaching out. And as we said in this podcast, action triumphs anything. So don't think that it's a good idea to reach out. You should actually do it. And I will, of course, nicely reply to everybody who reaches out because I appreciate your interest and attention a lot as well.
0: Yeah, and I can already say you're going to have a fun conversation on LinkedIn already. Definitely reach out. So what we're going to do is we're going to add a link to your LinkedIn profile. Excellent. We're going to add a link to your book, the go-to-market strategist, bestseller. And then we're going to also add links towards the partnership videos you you mentioned. Thanks again for coming on to the show, Maya.
1: Thanks for inviting me. It's so evident that you have gone through this process. You have a lot of empathy, like a lot of good advice yourself, a lot of like critical judgment of what worked for you. So it
0: was absolutely wonderful to talk. Nice, thank you for these compliments. Thank you for watching this show of the Grow Your BDB SaaS podcast. You made it till the end, so I think we can assume you like this content. If you did, uh, give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. If you like this content, Feel free to reach out if you want to sponsor the show. If you have a specific guest in mind, if you have a specific topic you want us to cover, reach out to me on LinkedIn. More than happy to take a look at it. If you want to know more about Veritas, feel free to reach out as well. But for now, have a great day and good luck growing your B2B SaaS.